0: Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Seek First Podcast. I'm Rick Brown. We talk about everything here, life, seeking God, biblical truth, today's culture, and whatever is on my guest's radar to unpack. We want to understand what is happening around us. Stick around. I think you're going to be encouraged. Take a minute to subscribe to the Seek First Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Let's jump in. Oh, man. It's good to be with people who love Jesus. And if you don't love Jesus, it strikes me that you're, you're open to the idea of loving Jesus, which is a good first step. Listen, we're living in crazy times, and we can start out with your harvest festival. That is totally pagan. I rebuke that. All right? You think Jesus was going hayrides and, you know, bobbing frat? No, that's not in the scripture. You need to reject it. Bouncy houses are not of God. Uh, no, I'm sorry that I can't be here for that. It sounds like you you have fun here, and I think that's a good thing. I think the Lord wants us to have joy. You know, we taught you. Uh, Pastor Rick said, uh, you know, that the the communion is the ultimate happy meal, right? And you know, you, when you really think about it, we live in a culture about ha- that deals with happy, right? But of course, we're dealing with joy. Joy is like, you know deep and beautiful. And the Lord wants us to live in, in that, right? When when you understand what the Lord did on the cross, giving his body and his blood for us, that, that there is a deep joy, an unfathomable joy that comes out of that. And the question is, through history, the, the church hasn't always leaned into that joy, if you know what I mean, right? It's It's our, it's our human nature, our sin nature, to just go through the motions, uh, maybe to come up with some theology and go like, you agree with that? Yep, 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 okay, you're in, fine, good. Um, That's what Bonhoeffer called cheap grace, right? And you see this over and over through history. In fact, even before the church, you see this obviously in the Old Testament that the prophets rise up to thunder at the people of God, calling them to be the people of God, right? So you see this over and over, and it's, it's the mystery of why the Lord allows things to go that way. But I, I believe we are now on the verge of a second reformation. Uh, when I say that, reformation, when you really think about what Luther did, um, it, all it is is what God wants to do all the time, which is to say, bring us deeper into walking with him, right? and to say like, okay, you did this for a while, but now you need more, right? You need to live out your faith. And so I think part of what I wanna talk about this morning, uh, which I think concerns the American church in letter to the American church, it's exactly what Bonhoeffer was talking about in 1932. Uh, in fact, he gave a famous sermon, Reformation Day, 1932. So it was like two months and change before Hitler takes power and he's speaking to this church and trying to make them understand that you know you kind of you you have the form and substance down but that's not what God's looking for he's looking at your heart he wants you to be alive to him and you're kind of going through the motions and a lot of people in the American church today who are being silent in the face of evil in the same way that German pastors and Christians were being silent in the face of evil and and What I write about in this book, Letter to the American Church, is to say, we know exactly what happened. Bonhoeffer was a prophetic voice trying to warn the German church. There were others, but he was the main one. They did not heed God's cry through God's servant Bonhoeffer. So the question is, will the American church today heed God's cry through his ser- servant Bonhoeffer. Will we hear what Bonhoeffer had to say that the German church ignored? And I'm here to say mostly the church in America has been silent in the face of evil in exactly the same way the German church was silent in the face of evil. But we have less than zero excuse because we have the example of the German church. We have many, many Americans have read my book on Bonhoeffer, you just like you want to see how that goes when the church says, uh, "Not yet, we're not ready to talk yet. We don't want to be political." Romans thirteen, we can't get we can't get politically and we can't get involved. Every bad theological reason that German Christians gave for their silence is being used today by those in the American church. The same reasons, the same answers. I mean, you hear a lot from people about. Well, that's not, a, that's not a gospel-related issue, right? Well, that, that's sophistry. The, these are lies from the pit of hell when you start talking like that, okay? Do you not think that in America, during slavery times, there were plenty of people saying, like, we don't want to speak out against slavery. We don't want to be pro-abolition because we have people in our congregations who would be bothered by that. So we can let the African slaves go to hell. We don't care about them. We care about the people in our our congregations that they might get pushed away from the gospel if we bring up that divisive issue. And you think, what dead gospel are you preaching if you cannot speak the truth about the wickedness of slavery? Am I interested in whatever thin pseudo gospel you have to preach? But there are many people that they're very focused on this quote unquote gospel, but I wanna say, What is that gospel that you're preaching? When when Jesus said that, you know, better that a millstone would be hung around your neck than that you would cause these little ones to stumble, that wasn't really very gospel-sensitive, Jesus. You know? I'm sure if Jesus were alive today, he would correct that terrible error. He would never say anything so harsh, right? Oh, sorry. We're talking about Jesus who was perfect he spoke about things that many today would act like, well, I'm holier than that. I wouldn't bring that kind of a thing up. I don't know, it could push some people away. Well, folks, you should care about not wanting to push people away, like that's, that's a good thing. But you can care too much. You can care so much that you're disobedient to what God is calling you to open your mouth about. So if you do not care about young women being bullied and badgered by propaganda to cut off their own breasts and destroy their lives if you don't love them the way jesus loves them and speak the truth into the culture that's doing that to them the lord will hold you accountable for that in the same way that he held americans accountable who said well i don't want to speak about slavery because we have some pro-slavery people in our congregation and they're good people except for the slavery part yeah, like today we laugh cuz we know how crazy that is, but back then they were like, well, who's to say? It's complicated. In Germany, people were telling Bonhoeffer to shut up. Don't get political. You know, there's plenty of Nazis uh in every congregation and some of them are 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 really bad, but some of them are good and they've it's it's complicated. Don't speak against that. Bonhoeffer ultimately became profoundly disgusted. I quote him in this book, letter to the American Church where he says, he was he was disgusted with the theological, uh, theologically based objections that a lot of these pastors and people had, theologically based. What, what, you know, if you're the devil, you want to come up with theologically based objections for your satanic ideas to fool some of the Christians into being silent. And Barnabas says, which is after all nothing but fear. It is fear. So, so people give these reasons and they can fool many people. There's a new book out. It came out just as my book was sent to the, to the printer, or to the publisher. I got a letter, uh, sorry, I got, I got a package in the mail in my home in New York uh, uh, from Zondervan because I'm like an influencer, so they want me to see what they're publishing. Uh, and uh, yeah, if you wanna know how bad things are, like a lot of these Christian publishers, a lot of these folks, they, they're, they've slid into the dark side. So they published a book by uh, Pastor Andy Stanley, and the book is called Not In It to Win It, OK? And every lie has truth in it, right? So we, no, we're not supposed to be cultural warriors, trying to be triumphalist, theocrats, trying to you know, crush the culture with our idea of Jesus. No, no. But I think most of us get that, OK? If you have a friend who's, who's on board with that, you'd be the first one to say, eh, no, sorry, we're not, we're not about that. But the point is, if you're going to tell me, oh, I shouldn't be political, I shouldn't have a voice, that's what they said to Bonhoeffer. (laughs) They said, stay in your little theological lane. Don't speak up for the Jews. And Bonhoeffer said, no, if you do not speak up for the Jews, you have no right to worship God. Bonhoeffer wrote that. He says, you have no right, keep your mouth shut. Do not praise the God who is the God of the Jews and who appointed you as the church to be the voice for the voiceless. That is your job. And if you are not doing that, shut up. Get in your prayer closet and get right with God. But do not pretend to say, I have faith when the Lord sees you have no faith because you keep your mouth shut in the face of satanic evil. But the the objections were the same the objections were the same as they are today, they would say, Romans 13, you're supposed to obey the governing authorities, right? You know, Bow to Nebuchadnezzar, like whatever it is, just like keep your mouth shut and just obey the governing authorities that put in place by God. Romans 13, so it's very clear. Well, it's obviously not very clear. There's more to the Bible than Romans 13 one. And the fact is, if you're looking for an excuse, it's very convenient. You just say, well, Romans 13. Luther was big on Romans 13. And so all the German Lutherans were like, it's settled. Well, it was not settled. You need discernment. You need wisdom. What are, what are we living through right now? The Lord calls us to take our faith into every single sphere imaginable. My hero, Chuck Colson, always used to quote Abraham Kuyper, the Dutch theologian. In every speech Chuck would give, he would quote Kuyper. Kuyper said, you know, about 120 years ago, Kuyper said, uh, There's not one square inch of all creation over which Jesus Christ, who is sovereign, does not say mine. Everything, politics, education, media, wherever you go, the Lord wants us to take him into those places. And that to me is what Reformation is all about, right? It's like the leaven is supposed to go all the way through the lump. And so why did it take the church so long to discover this, 15 centuries before Luther, in a sense, brings some of these ideas out into European culture? Why did it take 15 centuries? I don't know. We have to ask the Lord when we get there. Lord, why didn't that happen right away? But it didn't. The Lord lets these things work their way through history. Why did it take to Wilberforce at the end of the 18th century to see from the scriptures like slavery is an abomination from the pit of hell, and if you're a Christian, you need to stand against this with all your might and main. Why did it take so long? Well, it might have taken a long time, but the point is at some point, somebody got it, and somebody started talking about it, and there were always voices to say, no, 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 shut up, you're wrong, you're wrong. That's political, William Wilberforce. Don't be, don't be, uh, don't be political, keep your faith private from your, from your politics, and the Lord doesn't make those distinctions, the devil makes those distinctions, and when people tell you, oh, you're just being political, you know, that, that's like standing against slavery, and somebody says, well, you're just being political. It's like, no, I'm commanded by my Lord to stand up for those who have no voice. I'm commanded to stand up for the stranger. I'm commanded to speak the truth. So where do you get your idea that I'm supposed to keep my faith in this tiny little theological box? That's not a biblical idea. But it's out there in the culture. And so I remember getting this book in the mail from Zondervan by Andy Stanley, basically making the case that if you're involved politically, it's divisive and you're just a culture warrior and you're, now of course, if you're involved in the right stuff, he will have no criticism. But if you're involved in anything that might be pro-Trump or pro-liberty or, or a, any of that stuff, it's like, well, that, that's, you're being political, right? So I read the book, I forced myself to read the book, it's unpleasant, but it's at least short. And I thought to myself, and I wanna be, I wanna be gracious in the sense and say that I know that a lot of the folks like Andy Stanley, they're like the German pastors in that day in the sense that many of them know not what they do. They have no idea. So it's very easy for us to point the finger. You know, At some point, we have to point the finger and say, that's wrong. That's bad teaching. That's dark. It's leading America to hell. And it's going to make people suffer for whom Jesus died. If we, the church, do not rise up, the Lord has appointed us to, to rise up. But the point is that we have to understand that some of these people, they're just misguided. But the problem is, I then go on the Amazon webpage for the book, and I see a big blurb from Jim Daly of Focus on the Family promoting this book. And I thought, the book is published by Zondervan. That's where we are, ladies and gentlemen. People that I would think of as friends, or they used to be friends, and these are the kind of people that, you know, they're not openly serving the devil. They are just confused and misguided and going with the flow. Like many German pastors, they were just going with the flow. The question is, can we reach them before it's too late? Can we reach some of them before it's too late? I absolutely wrote this book, this short book, hoping to reach those who might be reached. We know some will never be reached. They don't want to be reached. They've got it all figured out. But there are many in the middle that I believe might see the error of their ways and might see that their silence in the face of evil has been silence in the face of evil. It's exactly the same as the silence of the German pastors in the face of evil. And some of them, I believe, will repent of their silence and say, okay, now I'm gonna speak up. Now in Germany, in Bonhoeffer's day, one of the heroes of my Bonhoeffer book is Martin Niemöller. Martin Niemöller was one of the ones who was going with the flow. He really believed that we don't need to speak against the Nazis. He was, now he was a heroic World War I uh, uh, military hero, an incredible pastor in a big powerful church, but he was deceived. And eventually he saw that he was deceived. He had a meeting with Hitler, where Hitler basically told him, you know, going along with the theological script, right? Hitler says to him, you stick to your sermons. In other words, you stick to your little, stupid little theological sermons in your little building on Sunday, but when you leave that building, you bow to the authority of the state, which is me, Adolf Hitler. That's when you know, oops, uh... This is not going to go well. He is not really open to hearing the truth. And I, Martin Niemöller, have made a mistake. So Martin Niemöller, by God's grace, woke up at that point. And he became a hero. But the problem is, in Germany, when Martin Niemöller woke up, it was too late. The church had been silent too long. The Nazis had been working hard to neutralize and silence the church. If the church wakes up, we're dead, so we'll keep doing whatever we need to do. We'll bribe some of them. We'll give them money. We'll threaten them. You'll lose your job. We'll shut you down. We'll do, we'll do whatever we can do to neutralize the church and neutralize the church. And at some point, it will be too late for them to speak up. And that's what happened in Germany. I think of uh, Gulliver being tied down by the Lilliputians. It's the same picture, right? You know, Gulliver, uh, at any moment as he's sleeping, the Lilliputians are tying him down with, I don't know, dental floss or whatever they're using. And if he had awakened at any point during this process, he would have ripped up the stakes and, you know, crushed the Lilliputians. But if they can make sure that he continues to sleep while they're doing this, at some point, it's too late for him to get up, isn't it? That's what the Nazis did with the church in Germany. They told them what they wanted to hear. And they, they knew that we don't need to get everybody. We just need to get enough German pastors and leaders to be silent and to do nothing. And at some point, we got them. Now, so you understand the numbers because it's dramatically similar in this country in terms of the representatives, uh, in terms of the percentage. In Germany, there were 18,000 Protestant pastors. And about 3,000 of them up, Hitler takes control in 33, so by 1935, the state, the Nazis, had so bullied the churches and everyone that by 1935, of the 18,000 pastors, there were about 3,000 standing strong for the gospel, standing with the Barman Declaration. I write about this all in the, in the book, Letter to the American Church. It's really amazing, 3,000 stood strong. About 6,000 had signed the, the, the Barman Declaration, but by the time you get to 1935, there had been enough bullying and badgering and arrests and whatever it is that it takes to intimidate people. And some of you are very familiar with that. I'm familiar with that. I've been sued, uh, you know, lost a lot of money. Uh, my whole YouTube channel was just destroyed because I dared to have on Naomi Wolf to discuss vaccine mandates. Can you imagine the United States of America having a conversation about the truth? But that's what we're dealing with today, right? Well, the Nazis did, did the same thing and worse. They just said this, intimidate, intimidate. We're gonna, we're gonna you know, we'll, we'll send the Gestapo uh, to, to knock down the doors at Mar-a-Lago. What do we have to do? Tell us, well, what do we have to do to weaponize the state to intimidate, intimidate? And by 1935, there were only 3,000 of those 18,000 pastors willing to stand firmly. Now on the other side of the 18,000 you have about 3,000 that were totally pro-Nazi and we get that we we have you know so-called pastors in the church today that are 1000% on board with cultural marxism and the great reset and whatever it is that you know the pit of hell is is currently manifesting in our culture but here's the key and this is where I have the hope in the middle there were 12,000 pastors those 12,000 pastors, before you get to the hope, you got to get to the depressing part. It was those 12,000 pastors that did not take a stand with the 3,000 heroes that enabled the evil to triumph. They said, well, we don't want to be political, Romans 13. Uh, We don't want to take a stand. For us, it's all about preaching the gospel. So we don't want to talk about you know all of this divisive stuff. We just want to we just want to preserve the opportunity to preach the gospel well there's a chapter in the book called the idol of evangelism because there are times when the devil will use one of the greatest things to keep you from the greatest thing the greatest thing is to speak God's truth as he calls you to speak it to speak against whatever he calls you to speak but some people say oh, no, no no uh I can't do that I gotta have my quiet time right now uh, th- there's, a, there's a girl being raped across the street, but you know what I'm gonna do? I'm gonna pray. Who can argue with that, right? Oh, you're gonna pray, oh, okay. Uh, I'm gonna do evangelism, okay. Well, you understand that the subtle enemy of our souls will use any good thing, right? Oh, you're just about preaching the gospel, just about gospel-related issues. Well, what if the Lord says, speak up for the Jews, and you're gonna lose some people in your congregation? What if the Lord says, speak against the slave trade to William Wilberforce? Most American Christians today would be like, I would be all over that. I would stand with Bonhoeffer and I would stand with William Wilberforce and oh, of course I would, but you are not doing it now. Right now, you're being silent. <laughs> and right now you are letting the 3000 take all the heat, aren't you? and you're saying, we think we're just gonna keep our nose clean, we don't wanna get in trouble, we wanna be safe, we wanna be nice, we wanna go along with whatever, you know, uh, if, there's, if there's a vaccine mandate, we'll go along with that, we'll make our people uh, take the, uh, the dead baby vaccine, we don't have a problem with that. Romans 13, we just wanna go along with the government. We're living in hard times, folks. You need discernment and you need courage. But I'm here to tell you that what happened during the Reformation with Martin Luther? Martin Luther had to make the case that it's by faith alone, right? We get that, right? It's by faith alone, it's not by works that we're saved. We all get that, right? But by the time you get to Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer is saying this faith alone stuff has gone too far because faith, faith without works is dead. So even though it is by faith you're saved, Do you have faith? If you have faith, you will live it out. Your life will be a testimony to the fact that you know Jesus defeated death on the cross. You don't just give it lip service. So he wrote about cheap grace and cheap faith. When you say it's about faith, it's about faith, which is just a way to say, like, I don't need to do anything. I can just sit on my hands. I'm gonna have my quiet time. Where's my highlighter? Where's my cup of coffee in the mug? With a scripture verse on it. Because I don't really care about black people. I'll put the the black, you know, lives matter thing on my Facebook thing. I'll, I'll just I'll just do whatever I, I, I care about. I don't want to actually talk about the issues about how critical race theory is destroying black communities. I don't want to bring that up because I'm white and you know somebody might look at me funny. I don't want to talk about transgender because somebody might look at me funny. I have a neighbor who has a daughter who's gone. I don't want to offend them. Folks. If you love the people for whom Jesus died, and if you trust that he defeated death on the cross, you will speak about these things. You will do what you can. We're not all called to be political activists, but the idea that Christian leaders particularly are misleading their flocks into silence is exactly out of the playbook of Bonhoeffer and the Nazis. It is exactly the same thing. The Lord is looking to his church now to stand against these evils. And if the church doesn't stand against these evils, trust me when I tell you, the Lord will blame the church. He is looking to his people because his people are the ones who dare to claim, we believe he defeated death on the cross. We believe he rose from the grave. We're free. Well, the Lord says, okay, if you believe that, you will live as though you believe that. You can't just say you believe it because faith without works is dead is from the scripture and it's a warning to us. So we say, well, yeah, I believe, uh, what do you believe? Oh, go to to my church's website. There's a statement of faith, that's what I believe. That's called a fig leaf. You're not fooling anybody. If you're not living that out self-sacrificially, the Lord can see and the devil can see and your neighbors can see and your friends can see that you're just talking. You don't really believe it and the Lord will judge you on what you believe your real faith will save you your fake faith will not fool anyone and will not save you so we have an opportunity to live out our faith in an extraordinary moment right now and I believe the Lord has allowed the, the, these satanic things to happen in the last few years to wake up his people and I believe largely as a result of heroes like uh, Rob McCoy uh, and other pastors that dare to invite me to their pulpits uh, that we have hope. And there are people watching online are like they used to go to that, you know, dead Lutheran church or wherever they used to go and they don't go there anymore. Well, I do want to say to you, I hope some of you can think of a pastor who might be reached by my book because they're out there. They need bucking up. They need to hear what we're hearing here. They need to know that maybe I got this wrong. Maybe I can repent. Maybe I can be part of what God is doing today. I often think, I know I write about it in the book, that the idea of, let's say somebody, uh, you know, strings a high wire across Niagara Falls and says, you know, to the crowd, does anybody believe I can walk across that? Everybody's like, yes, yes, we believe it, we believe it. And he pulls out a wheelbarrow. Anybody believe I can, I can push the wheelbarrow across the crowd? You know, we'd all say, yeah, absolutely, go, go for it. Anybody believe I can, I can push the wheelbarrow across the with a heavy load in it? Absolutely, go ahead. And he's like, you, sir, you believe I can do it, yes get in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) It's easy to say, I believe. If you really believe, you will live it out. God can see whether you really believe by how you behave. And we haven't heard this a lot in the American church. In the American church, we, we talk about it's about faith, it's about faith, it's about faith. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's not scriptural, folks, okay? If your faith is real, you're saved by your real faith. But if your faith is cheap faith, or the grace you believe in is cheap grace, Bonhoeffer wrote about that in Cause of Discipleship. Cheap grace is not grace. If you understood what Jesus did to die for you because he loves you, it transforms your life, and the Lord is inviting us to live into that faith. He's saying, I want to see you Get in the wheelbarrow. I want you to trust me or to put me to the test and say, okay, Lord, I'm going to give up my job. I'm not going to get the vaccine. I'm going to do whatever you call me to do because I know that if you are who you say you are, you can get me another job. You could take care of my family. You love me. Now, I don't mean put the Lord to the test the way the scripture says, don't put the Lord, your God, to the test. But I'm saying that the Lord expects us to depend on him, to lean on him, to trust him with our future. So for pastors who are worried about losing the congregation, who called you to that pulpit in the first place? Was that a job that you you wriggled your way to get or did the Lord call you to that pulpit? Who put the people in the pew? to hear what God was saying through you. Was that you and your wisdom and your sophistry? Or did the Lord do that? If the Lord did that, when you speak what he calls you to speak, he will fill your church. And if he doesn't fill your church, we're supposed to trust the Lord with everything. And again, just to repeat, he defeated death on the cross. So if somebody says, well, you know, if you don't toe the line, we'll kill you. You know, your response, if you believe, actually believe, would be, ha ha, you can't kill me. He defeated death on the cross. I will never die. We're supposed to know. A lot of people kind of say, well, I hope, I hope it's true. If you hope it's true, I rebuke you. You need to know, the Lord wants you. If you want to know what is his will, it is his will that you know that he defeated death that you know that nothing more wonderful could ever happen to you than you would see him face to face now, today, tomorrow, whenever he calls you. There can be nothing greater than that. And we have been so coddled and blessed in America that we kind of think, well, no, it's kind of okay here. I'm not ready for that yet. I get that, folks, but we need to live in that kind of faith. The kind of faith that says there is nothing more glorious than the reality of eternal life with him. And by the way, He gives us an opportunity to start living that life now. If if by faith we're seated with him in heavenly places now while we're still here and if he hasn't translated you into glory it means he has a job for you here and now to live that kind of faith here and now and that is the heroic call to which God calls his church. Will we hear his cry to his church? Some are waking up. You know there's a remnant By God's grace, because of churches like this and others, a remnant that is waking up. And there are plenty of people that haven't been to churches for years that when they see this kind of muscular Christianity, they go, you know, I could get behind that kind of Christianity. They're not afraid of of speaking truth. It's not namby-pamby kind of emasculated pseudo gospel. It seems real to me. Those people seem to understand we're dealing with evil, we're in a spiritual war, and, and there's, something, there's something attractive about that. Folks, that leads to revival. If you cared about evangelism, it's not about keeping your mouth shut on hot topics, it's about opening your mouth on those hot topics and delivering the heart of God on those hot topics and seeing how people say, finally, where have you been? Where have you been all these years? It says in the scripture, there's a parable, you know, the parable of the talents, right? I think it's a parable for us today. There's also a chapter in the book on the parable of the talents because it's so counterintuitive. The idea is that this master has some servants, right? And these are not like, you know, they're not sweeping up around the house kind of servants. These are like major people in his uh, kingdom or in his world. And he entrusts each of them with a ton of money. A talent is a ton of money, right? He says, I'm going on a long trip. So here, you get, you know, 1.1 million, and you get uh, 700,000, and and you get uh, 200,000, and I'll be back in a year. Now, if you love your master, you say, well, I'm going to do unto him as as I would have others do unto me. So I'm going to take this money. I know I can make a lot of money with the money he's given me. I want to bless him. So I'm going to take it, and I'm going to do what I can in the markets to try to increase the money. Now, that comes with risk. You might lose the money, but if you love your master, you're like, well, I'm gonna try. If it was my money, I would try. So I'm gonna try. I'm gonna go out there, do what I can do. So the one with five talents, the one with three talents, they, they try to do something with it and they're successful. But the one who's been given one talent, basically in his mind, he's thinking, you know what? I don't like my master. I, I, I think he's a bum. I don't really wanna stick my neck out for him. And by the way, I think if I lose the money, if I try to do something and lose it, he's just gonna whack me because he's just, he's just a religious killjoy. He's just looking for me to make a mistake. He doesn't love me. Now, this is the question. What God do we worship? Do we worship the God that looks at our heart and wants us to see us go for it? And even if we screw up, he says, I love you. I see your heart. Or are we religious and are we playing it safe and saying it's all about staying out of trouble? It's about not saying anything wrong. Don't tweet anything unkind at 3 a.m. because that's really the ultimate judge of a man's character. <laughs> not if he's a warrior for truth, or for the unborn, or for the nation, or, or against uh, Marxist tyranny. We, 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 don't, we, don't, we, you know, we don't care about that. If, if you are worshiping the God that is just looking for you to make a little mistake, You're actually worshiping the devil, I hate to tell you, because that's who the devil is. The God of the Bible is like Aslan in the Narnia Chronicles. He's wild, he's not tame, but he is good. And when we think about the goodness of God, we're not talking about a safe goodness. He's not sweet, he's not a kitty cat. He's Aslan, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and he calls us to the battle. And he loves us, but there are many Christians who they don't know that God. They're worried about saying the wrong thing, about being a little too impolitic, about being perceived funny, so they're careful. And we have a lot of pastors that they're careful. They're being religious. They don't understand God calls us to a wildness, to a battle for his sake, to speak for those who have no voice. The church is the conscience of the state. And if the church is silent, when these evil things are happening, folks, do you not think the Lord will judge his church who has no excuse? I'm here to remind you, that's what happened in Germany. In Germany, they were quiet and quiet and quiet, and by the time some of them woke up, it was too late. I believe the Lord gave us the story of Bonhoeffer and the example of what happened to that great nation that had the, the, uh, 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 an incredibly powerful church, culturally speaking, they had the power to stand against the Nazis and they said, not yet, not yet, I'm not ready to get political, let the, other, let the hotheads bring it up, let them go to jail, let Simone Gold go to jail, I don't care. Let them take the heat, I'm just gonna stand here and wait till it all blows over. Folks, that's not, that's not the Lord. That's not the Lord. We need to understand the Lord calls us to live out our faith with our whole being and to show him by our actions that we know him, we love him, we trust him, and we want to live for him with everything we have. I'm convinced that if a holy remnant is awakened, which I see happening by God's grace, and there are many, many, many others still asleep or beginning to wonder beginning to look around and think, are things bad enough now that I, maybe I should speak up? Maybe I should talk about politics? Maybe the satanic Marxist atheists taking over America, maybe what they're doing is gonna harm all kinds of people and God is gonna say, what did you do to the least of these? Did you speak up against it? Or did you just say, well, that's not my business, Lord. I wanna stay in my religious lane. The Lord doesn't call you to stay in your religious lane. There's no such thing. The enemy calls you to stay in your religious lane. I just have to say that we are, again, we're in a season where we talk a lot about theology, we talk a lot about faith. The Lord tells us again and again and again in various ways, but through that scripture, faith without works is dead. We are called to live out our faith, self-sacrificially, and a lot of times in the evangelical church, we forget about character. Right? We say, "Do you believe? You believe? You believe?" Okay. Well, you're a bum. You cheat your business people, and you're you're kind of like uh, you would cheat on your wife if you had the chance, and you would. But but you believe, so you're saved by grace. That's really not biblical, folks. The the Lord says he cares what you do. You might be saved by grace and by faith, but then he looks at your life and says, okay, now you get it. Are you ready to live for me between now and when I see you face to face? Are you ready to give it all? That's why I died on the cross for you. That's why I rose from the dead, to enable you to live out your faith utterly for such a time as this, and you will see things, glorious things happen. One of the last scriptures in the bible it might be the second last scripture in revelation it says he who overcomes shall inherit all things and i will be his god and he shall be my son he who overcomes but the cowardly the cowardly can you imagine the lord is saying i've given you enough of my life, and my son, and my word, to let you know that you have no excuse in being cowardly. A lot of people say, well, I'm just cowardly by, by nature. Well, the Lord says no. No, it's like saying you're an adulterer by nature. You're my, well, let me tell you something. I have come to give you the ability to live your life in the right way. And the first thing that he says, the cowardly, we are called to courage. It's not extra credit Christianity. We are called to heroism and courage. And Revelation 21 7 says, but the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. That's unbelievable, folks. The the Lord is begging us to take him at his word. He is begging us to live courageously in the moment, to stop pretending somebody told you you're only supposed to speak on gospel-related issues. Truth is a gospel-related issue. If the church will arise now and live this way, you will inspire untold people to do the same thing If you will live this way, you will inspire people who don't know Jesus to want to know Jesus because they're dying to know where do you get that courage from? Are you crazy or is it true what they say? This is, I believe, an opportunity for the church. I don't know which way it's going to go, but I don't believe the Lord called me to write this book and I don't believe he called pastors like Rick and Rob and so many others to stand at this time for nothing. I believe God has a plan for this nation to reach the whole world with his gospel, and there's nothing more extraordinary There's nothing more extraordinary than that we would get to be a part of that and we would get to share this with others and that the Lord would use us in bringing reformation so that the world would not talk about believing in Jesus but would live out that faith in Jesus so that it would be so attractive that millions and millions and millions and millions would get saved. If you care about evangelism, live your faith. God bless you. Thank you. I want hope for the hopeless and rest for the weary mind. And you've got truth for the taking, but my heart won't be shaken if today be the day that I die. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Tomorrow or fearing times trouble, I keep my heart seeking you. Oh, I will keep my heart seeking you. Whoa, Whoa.